and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. The Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi was in the hot seat this morning as the Sunday interview shows made their return. Trevor Phillips began by asking Zahawi about proposals which could see the mandatory period for self-isolation reduced from seven days to five. You have already said this morning that you think that we are moving from pandemic to endemic. Let's talk about some of the signals of that. Um, When do you want the isolation period to move from seven days to five days? So the UK Health and uh, Security Agency um, did a very good blog on this, and your viewers should actually have a look at that. And um, what they looked at is, because people said, you know, the Americans at five days, why are we at seven days? Actually, we begin our isolation period when people get symptoms. In the US, it's when they test positive. So we have to be careful um, as to whether we move, because what you could end up is, an, is actually a, a, a perverse incentive where, where the uh, spike is higher because people come out of isolation too early. But they said they will review it. And if the evidence is there, where if you are asymptomatic and you are vaccinated and boosted and you have two uh, days, uh, consecutive days of negative lateral flow tests, uh, they said they will keep, keep that under review. Of and, course, it would help. Um, for, and you want that to happen as soon as possible? Well, I would obviously always defer to the scientific advice on this. It would certainly um, you know, help mitigate some of the pressures on uh, uh, you know, schools, on critical workforce and others, but I would absolutely be um, you know, uh, driven by the advice from the experts, the scientists, on whether we should move to uh, five days from seven days. Uh, otherwise, what you don't want is obviously to create um, you know, the, the, the wrong outcome by higher levels of infection. Zahawi also commented on reports in the Sunday Times, which suggests that the current policy of providing free lateral flow tests could soon be on its way out. Another uh, suggestion that's uh, apparently coming forward, and I think you uh, are associated with this, that um, lateral flow tests are at some point going to have to stop being free uh, if this is uh, an endemic condition. When do you want that to happen? I saw that story this morning, which I was slightly puzzled by because I don't recognise it at all. This is absolutely not where we are at. On the contrary, I've just said to you in my opening remarks that uh, you know, for January alone, we've got 425 million lateral flow tests coming in and they'll continue to be uh, available for free because actually we've got three lines of defence. The booster and obviously vaccination if you haven't been vaccinated, testing and antivirals. And all those three things are really... So I don't really recognise where that story is coming from. So to be clear, there are no plans at the moment... Absolutely not. ...to stop lateral flow tests being free? Absolutely not. Sahawi was later interviewed by Sophie Rayworth, who has taken up the reins left by Andrew Marr. Rayworth brought up the rate of vaccination of children aged 12 to 15, with the health service having made much slower progress with this age group than anticipated. You set out plans. I mean, the NHS wanted to get the vast majority of 12 to 15-year-olds vaccinated by the October half term. Mm. As of now, it's, it's still only, what, 49, 50%? You sh- that has been too slow, hasn't so it? So we are over 50%, so over 1.2 million uh, 12 to 15-year-olds have had the but vaccine. But nowhere near as far as you want to We have to go much, much uh, uh, faster, which is why we're going back into schools on Monday uh, with the school-age vaccination programme. But also... Why uh, has it been so difficult, though? Because you did promise a majority by October half term, and we're now in January. So 
one of the things the NHS did um, at the end of last year is open the system so parents can book an appointment online and take them to a vaccination centre or to a GP. I saw some reports saying, oh, uh, GPs won't vaccinate 12 seniors. That's actually not true. Um, you can actually book and take your uh, son or daughter to a vaccination centre and get that vaccination. It's important that people do that. This is the way we're going to transition this virus from pandemic to endemic. I think we are on that road. Uh, this is a big bump on the road. The next two weeks will be bumpy because obviously staff absenteeism will rise as students go back into education. But on the whole, uh, this has been you know, a good start last week. This week will be important. The Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves was also making the day's media rounds and mounted an attack on the government over the rising cost of energy. Reeves told Phillips about Labour's proposals to mitigate this. Well, we've had 10 years, more than a decade, of dither and delay and incompetence from this government, which is why we have this energy price crisis today. Of course, prices have gone up globally, but we are uniquely exposed in Britain because of the decisions of this government. It's a failure to regulate properly, to get rid of our gas storage, and a failure to retrofit homes and to go with the speed on new nuclear and renewables that are necessary. And that's why today I'm putting forward a package of measures to keep bills down this April to help families and pensioners who are struggling with this cost of living crisis that is coming in April. And it is right to ask those who have benefited from high, higher gas and oil prices to pay more into the system. And that's why I'm putting forward a one-off increase in the taxes paid by North Sea Oil and Gas. They are likely to make record profits uh, this year because of that spike in prices. Let's tax them a bit more and use that money to reduce bills for ordinary people who are struggling so much at the moment. And we estimate that um, just because of the higher uh, prices, already the oil and gas industry in the North Sea are likely to pay £2.3 billion more in tax. A one-off windfall tax will raise an additional £1.2 billion. Let's put that money into keeping bills lower for everybody else. Reeves kept up the assault when interviewed by Rayworth, setting the Prime Minister in her sights. Labour is setting out a package of measures today to help people with their bills now, but also to properly reform this market, so never again are we in this position. And one of those measures is, as you have already spoken of, dropping the 5% uh, VAT on fuel bills. A blunt tool, as the Prime Minister says. Well, the Prime Minister, of course, was the biggest advocate of cutting VAT on uh, gas and electricity bills when he was campaigning in the European referendum. I want to cut that VAT on gas and electricity bills because um, it will save people £100 a year on their bills. And we know that pensioners, for example, who have to stay in more, who need their homes more uh, heated more warmly, uh, for, for families who are already struggling with the cost of living crisis, spend a higher proportion of their Absolutely. And then there's on no... those, those bills. And so this is a practical thing that government could do right now to help people through this difficult it, time. But it will help a lot of people. It won't just help the people who need it. So why make it broad brush? Why drop it for everybody when actually the people who have the rich, the, the biggest houses, the biggest energy bills are going to get more money back? Well, let me tell you about the whole package of no, measures no, then. Know, but why because... that specifically? Because that is the point, isn't it? It is a blunt tool. Why drop it for everybody? You always say, you know, the broadest shoulders should carry the most. Why make it so broad here 
and allow people who 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 don't really need everybody, the money to get all the money. Everybody back. is experiencing a rise of their gas and electricity bills now, and this is something practical that the government could do, and it would be felt immediately. But, but it, in it, addition it's... to that, we are also massively increasing the warm homes discount to four hundred pounds uh, a year, and expanding the number of people who are eligible no, you, for that to nine that? million people. And finally, Rayworth spoke to the chief executive of King's College Hospital, Dr Clive Kay. Rayworth was keen to hear about the impact of the government's measures, which will soon require all NHS staff to be vaccinated. You're encouraging the public to be vaccinated. Your staff yes. are being forced to be vaccinated by law by April. Do you think that's yes. right to have mandatory vaccination? So it's not, they're not being forced to be, just to be really clear. They're not being forced and it's not mandatory. They're being encouraged. Uh, and it but will be a, a condition of deployment. Um, well, they, there's a possibility if they choose not to be vaccinated, they could be redeployed. And if we can't uh, find that opportunity to redeploy them, yes, then the consequence is that they will. You've got about 10% of your staff currently who haven't had, haven't been vaccinated, so they've got what, a month to do so to have their first vaccine. Yeah, yeah. How many staff could you potentially lose? What is 10% of your staff if they so, don't have it? So overall, we, we have approximately 14,000 staff at King's. Um, and... Um, but I am confident. So more than a thousand, you could lose more than a thousand. Well, at, staff. A, at an extreme position, but I am confident that, and we're already seeing a number of staff choosing to be vaccinated. Uh, we're having conversations with staff. Their line managers are having conversations. I mean, that is a large number. You must be worried about about the impact that could have. Um, uh, yeah, of course. I think we have to. My job is is to worry. My job is to worry about uh, everything in relation to whether or not we have enough staff here to provide care for patients safely and, and we'll continue to do so and we will provide care uh, for patients but ultimately if individuals choose not to this is their choice their personal choice. And if you lose that number of staff what impact will that have on your hospital? Um, I think of course it will very much depend on uh, which clinical areas the staff are working in and the numbers are affected and we'll have to uh, address that as uh, we pass through the coming weeks and work through those issues and work out uh, who's impacted and which clinical areas and we'll um, we'll reorganise as we need to. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. <laughs>